You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I cut taxes 99 times in my first term, and those prescriptions didn't work. We will never win a race to the bottom. Former Michigan Governor, now Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. In 2002, Jennifer Granholm was elected Michigan's first female governor. In 2006, she was re-elected to a second term. And her work to reestablish Michigan's recession-ravaged Rust Belt economy eventually drew the attention of national leaders of the Democratic Party. In 2011, just a few months after she left office, Jennifer Granholm and her husband Dan Mulhern wrote a book together about her experience as Michigan's governor. And that's when I met her. So here now from 2011, Jennifer Granholm. What's happening to the country happened to Michigan first. We are we struggled for almost this entire past this entire past decade from 2001 through 2010 with joblessness because we never came out of the 2001 2002 recession. And the reason why our our story is so important for the country, we think, <laughs> is because. What we, we, we tried a lot of things. Some worked and some didn't. But the bottom line is the country has to wake up and realize that in light of globalization, the nature of our economy has changed dramatically. And we are competing not state to state, but state to country. States alone don't have the tools to compete against China. China and other countries are aggressively intervening in the free market to be able to lure jobs to their shores. And America's got to realize that our competitors aren't playing by the same playbook that we have come to know and love. Now, many of those years that you were just talking about, places elsewhere in America kind of pointed a finger at Michigan and said, boy, I'm glad it's happening there and not here, because they have that rusty old auto industry. It's kind of dying, but thank goodness we've got fill in the blank, you know, whatever we've got. But now they're realizing it comes home to roost ever. Even here in Washington, government jobs aren't safe anymore. It's the sectors of jobs in this country are moving. And we have to, you know, I was just a quick story. I was in China in March um, with a group called Securing America's Future Energy. We were meeting with the Chinese government and officials to learn what they were doing to lure clean energy jobs for their people. And when in one of a side, a side conversation I had with one of the officials, he said to me, when do you think the United States is going to get a national energy policy. And I said, you know, I don't know, the Tea Party, there's division in Congress. And he he rubbed his hands together and smiled and said, take your time. Because, of course, China sees our passivity as their opportunity. And we've got to wake up. And that's why we wrote this book, because we want people to understand what worked and what didn't work and what we're facing globally, and that we can't rely upon the old prescriptions. When I see the Tea Party debate and everybody just talking again about cutting taxes and cutting government as the prescription for job growth in America, I can tell you we tried that and it didn't work. I cut more out of government than any state in the country. Our corporate tax burden, because of all the tax cuts we, we, we adopted and changes to our economy, it dropped, our corporate tax burden dropped more than any states in the country. By the time I left government, we were 48th in the nation in terms of the size of government vis-a-vis population. 
We tried all of that. I cut taxes 99 times in my first term. In fact, I have them listed in the back of the book to show people small, large, targeted. Those prescriptions didn't work because this can't, we will never win a race to the bottom in terms of cost. So we have to identify in America what sectors can we compete in in America on quality and go after them aggressively. And that's why we wrote this book. But that's all the, the old playbook says that's what you got to do. You got to do X, Y, Z, and you know, it might take a little while, but you'll be fine. Right. We've been uh, bowing to the altar of laissez faire, free markets for a very long time. And it maybe worked well when we weren't so aggressively competing globally, when all of these trade agreements hadn't been adopted in the last century. But in the 21st century, when our economic competitors have no interest in playing by rules other than what is going to create jobs for our citizens. There was an interesting column in the New York Times this weekend on Saturday, and it was Charles Blow, and he said, this is really, instead of being a global war on terror, it is a global war for jobs, and we need to make sure that we are in the game, fighting, swinging for jobs for Americans. Tax cuts, if you give a corporation, especially a multinational corporation, a tax cut with no strings attached, with no requirement that they invest the savings in America, then you're going to see that money go, understandably, to where they can maximize their return. Corporations, multinational corporations, they don't have loyalty necessarily to America for job creation. They have loyalty to the shareholders. That's how they're constructed. So we've got to construct an economic strategy in America that responds to that global reality. Now, some taxpayers will look at this and say, well, you know what? We gave half a billion dollars to that solar company because the Chinese government gives all the money to their solar companies. We should have been able to compete. What went wrong? Yeah, what went wrong there is that China has been so aggressive in the solar market that in an unanticipated fashion, the solar prices dropped enormously and the kind of technology that that company was relying on became too expensive. Ultimately, that was it. But the bigger point on this, a lot of people would say, well, that's Solyndra. You placed a bet and you chose a, a winner or a loser and government shouldn't be playing that. I would say, listen, if you, if you invest in startup innovation technology, as the Department of Energy says, you're going to have some losers. Not everybody is going to win. But if you place no bets, you will lose every time. And other countries are betting and betting aggressively. So we have to de-risk these investments as much as possible. But if we're not in the game investing in startups, if we're not, if we're not, not, not that the U.S. government needs to be playing venture capitalists, but if we're not helping in a public-private partnerships companies to get their technology and equipment in the ground here, we're going to see them continue to choose other countries. And not only that, but you'll see the research and the development follow because you cannot decouple manufacturing from research and development. We should have our hair on fire if that is going to occur. I think one of the great misconceptions about public investment and public involvement in the market is that every taxpayer dollar is at risk. And what Jennifer did in Michigan was clearly tie tax credits to job creation. So if the jobs didn't come, the tax credits weren't delivered. This is what any investor would do. You have something in particular in mind, you negotiate a return, and the government can do that uh, actually quite well so that the illusion uh, is that the taxpayers are totally at risk, and they're just not if we do it smart. That was, that was Dan Mulhern, my husband, and um, he's been a tremendous partner in writing this book, A Governor's Story. It's, in fact, a co-author because it's, it talks about the policy for America 
America, but it's also a personal story about what it's like to lead during challenging times. And one of the reasons why we wrote this book right now is because there are so many parallels with what's happening in the nation, not just economically, but with this presidential race. And After this short break, Jennifer Granholm identifies one technology that the government really ought to be doing more to support. Now back to my 2011 interview with former Michigan Governor and now Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. This country is so hungry right now for a real leader, somebody who is going to step up and say, as you did as governor, painful or not, we have to do this and this. And I found it very telling that one of the paragraphs in your book was that when you look back on what you had done, that you wouldn't have, that you would have made many of the same decisions except for you would have done them sooner. Right, right. I mean, because in Michigan, we thought that this was cyclical. And this is what, as we debate right now in the United States, what should be the economic strategy? What is the super committee going to be doing? Is the jobs plan enough to set, to get us through? Well, when you say, is it enough to get us through, it suggests that there's a cyclical upturn that's coming and we just have to bide our time until that happens. What this book tells us is that, and what, well, frankly, studies on the economy tell us, is that this is a structural change in America's economy. And if we want to see an upturn, we have to go after it and devise a strategy to make that upturn happen. We cannot sit by and expect that the old market way is going to cause an upturn to happen. Don't worry, that buggy whip market will turn up again any day now. I mean, you can make the world's finest buggy whip, but the reality is nobody wants it anymore. Well, and that's why we as a nation have got to invest in this up, this um, early upstream technology, the research, the development, which we know will become the next products. But if you don't do that, if you're not investing in the brains of those who are going to be creating those designs and patents for those new technologies, if we're not making a good business case for a startup to locate in the United States, you know, we just moved to, to um, the Bay Area in California. Silicon Valley, all of those great ideas are incubated, but then they take the production to scale overseas because China is luring them. I mean, China now makes more than half of all of the solar panels, even though all that technology started largely in Silicon Valley, that link to the universities. We have to do that as a country. We have meaning. We have got to develop the clusters, the strengths, tie it to universities and invest in that brain power if we're going to be competitive. And, and Bill, I think one of the issues, you were talking about the starving for leadership, and I think is important in this book, a parallel between Michigan and now Washington, is that people want common sense, practical solutions. They're dying for something, but it's really not the ideology. And where we're at is that we need to think like business people in terms of practicality and getting a deal done, not as ideological people. Businesses are not ideological. They don't come into it stomping their feet and say, we won't compromise on anything. So when we have 10 Republican candidates all say that if offered a compromise of 10 parts cuts in federal spending and one part revenue, that none of them would take that deal, that is a, a, an insistence on ideology that's really, really frightening for our country. What we're ending up with is a gridlock as a result. And the point my wife was making about the Chinese is take your time. So we're in an environment where you need speed to market and you need to move quickly. And what we're getting is governmental gridlock where what we should have is rational, reasonable compromise. And voters aren't going to take that much longer, are they? Here's what I would say is that this this book, and we had, to, we had a precursor to the Tea Party in Michigan that 
caused ended up causing a shutdown uh, of government as well because one because the people who were in control uh, in the Senate and again I had a divided legislature another parallel said we're not going to compromise one single dime and or one penny there's just going to be no revenues no how no way never and it forced a shutdown of government that's not what the answer is. You know, you have to have to compromise. And, you know, believe me, I think that it's important that people recognize, Democrats need to recognize, and I'm a Democrat, that we've got to cut where we can in order to invest where we must. And we have to recognize there is, there are, there is bureaucracy. There, there can be streamlining, leveraging of technology, all of that. But you have to invest in the stuff that creates jobs. That should be the number one investment. Do you think the candidates for president, regardless of their party, get that? I think the president gets it, actually. I really do. I think that the the strategies that he identified... I mean, let me just give you an example. In the Recovery Act, when he put on the table the ability for the United States to have electric vehicles, the batteries for those electric vehicles predominantly had been made in Asia, 97% of them. And he said, if the United States is going to wean ourselves from foreign oil, we're going to have electric vehicles in the United States. So we said, as the state Michigan did, we're going to compete for those too. And so we partnered with the private sector to do it. Because the president had the foresight and the Department of Energy did to focus on that technology, we were able to get in Michigan 18 battery companies to come who are projected to create 63,000 jobs. One of them has just hired their 1,000th person. The, the point I'm making is that that sort of pragmatic investment is, is stuff the president has been proposing and wants to do. We need more of it, not less of it. It was only when we were able to do public-private partnerships, when we had strategic investment with active government, not big government, but active government, partnering with business, that Michigan began to turn around. So in 2010, our unemployment rate, rate dropped six times faster than the national average. The Gallup organization in February of this year said that Michigan's job creation performance was most improved of all of the states. Two weeks ago, Newsweek identified Michigan as the number one place to look for a job. So things begin. We're not where we need to be. This is not a declaration of victory. However, we started to turn it around once we saw what in, once investment took hold. Jennifer Granholm is 62. She was named the nation's 16th energy secretary by then-president-elect Joe Biden in December of 2020. And you can find easy Amazon links to Jennifer Granholm's book at our website, HeardEverything.com. And while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure and listen to my interview with former Texas Governor Ann Richards. In the middle of the speech, President Bush said, We must cancer conquer and he looked down at me sitting on the front row and he said, well, you know, Ann Richards was right. <laughs> and my interview with the 1984 Democratic vice presidential nominee, Geraldine Ferraro. When I looked at, it was not only all these people screaming and there was such joy, but I was also looking at tears rolling down people's faces, including some of the women reporters. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, we're pretty sure you have at least one of his books somewhere in your house. My 2002 interview with mega best-selling author James Patterson. I am doing a dance with the reader, and, and, and we're, all, we're all in it together. They want to have a good time. I want them to have a good time. On my tombstone, I want it to be Jim kept a lot of people up late at night. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.